Welcome to Transforming Experiences in Customer Success, formerly Strike Deck Radio. This is a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Medallia and the Success League. Medallia's customer success automation platform helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Success League is a consulting and training firm focused on developing customer success programs that drive revenue. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Transforming Experiences in Customer Success and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm really excited about our show today. I'm joined by Bill Couchard, who is the GM of Service Rocket, the host of Helping Sales podcast, and a member of the Customer Success Leadership Network Council. Bill and I have recorded a number of podcasts together, and we always have a great conversation. So, Bill, welcome to the podcast, and I'm looking forward to our talk today. I'm so glad to be here, Kristen. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hey, before we get started, can you give the audience a little bit of background on yourself? Okay, so uh, as in my role as GM of Service Rocket, I am currently you know running one of our business units, which is okay. Learn Dot by Service Rocket, and so that's a learning management system that uh, helps software companies build up their customer education program, and we primarily focus on the services aspect of that and helping software companies get that education function up and running, and so my background previously is in. Going, we went way back. It's in learning and development. So I spent okay. a lot of time doing corporate training, job training at companies like Accenture and uh, E-Trade mm-hmm. as two examples. And so my heart is in education, you might say. Oh, that's great. Um, and it goes so hand in hand with customer success. There is a pretty important overlap there, I think. I yeah. agree with that. Even if it's not, quote, training, you know, right. it's... There's some element of support, helping, enablement, you know, mm-hmm. doing something to help a customer do something. Yes. Yeah. And I think if you subscribe to kind of the challenger um, philosophy of selling, you you kind of are educating customers um, as a way of kind of helping them understand how to achieve value, which is really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the business model of customer success. I think it's been evolving ever since it got started and that word customer or the title customer success kind of got out there. And when we were talking about this the other day, you mentioned that you think it needs to change further. So can you set us up for the conversation? Uh, Yes. I I have been thinking a lot about this. I've started publishing about this topic. I have recorded a few podcasts. I have stood on the shoulders of a few giants who were talking about this as well which we can talk about, but I think that customer success uh, ultimately is a business model innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Which goes way beyond the act of changing or doing something different in the servicing of customers because we're in a subscription world. I think it's more than that. I think it's a way of changing the business model. I mean, look, we've already changed the business model of how we build and sell and then deliver software. Right. Right. From the on-prem to the as-a-service model. That's a business model innovation. But I I know you and I talked about this. I don't think we've gone far enough. 
I think customer success was one step in the direction of completing the business model innovation, but we haven't gone far enough and we're still evolving. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, after our conversation the other day where we first started talking about this, I think there's a couple of, I was thinking about trends that drive this and, you know, the, the switch to software as a service is an obvious one. I think a couple of other things are going on too. I'd love to get your take on these. Um, one is I think that the people who are buying technology for their companies, um, the demographics of that group have really shifted even in the last five years. Um, now it's primarily Gen X and millennials who are, are making those big purchases for their companies and we're digital natives. And so, you know, we're people who are used to tech, who are comfortable with it, who are comfortable making decisions more quickly about it. But we're also looking to peers and looking to, you know, review sites a lot more than, you know, maybe the the buyers who came before us. And so I think that shift in demographics is is one thing. And then I think the other thing that's feeding into this is just the elevation of experiences that we have as consumers and customers ourselves. So there's just been, you know, on the consumer side of our lives, this explosion of these amazing experiences and different ways to purchase things as a consumer than we've ever had before. And that's kind of bleeding into B2B. And so I see those two trends along with subscription um, kind of driving us to need to look differently at you know, not just customer success, but the whole experience that customers have with us. I'd love your take on those two trends and to hear what you have to think, you know, have to say about that. Well, uh, maybe slightly off the topic, I, I, I've come to this realization that the, the, the you use the phrase digital native. There's no digital native who's ever going to use the phrase digital transformation. Right. Right. For example, <laughs> which is interesting all by itself. And uh, further off the topic, there's no digital native. Like, no, I should go back. Only an analog native would say, we got to get back to the office or else. Right? right. And so when you think about the digital native taking over in running of the software they're buying from us, um, I think they do have a different attitude. And when we set up our services, including sales, all of our services functions, imagine what we do, right? There's a sales team that helps you. Then there's a handover to a services team. Mm -hmm. And there, and then there's this services team, customer success team, support team, you know, circular motion that has to happen. And then nine months into a something, some other person comes in, their account manager comes in. Hi, I'm Sally, the account manager, and I'm here to help you. And you're, and the a digital native is like, what? Who? What are you doing here? Yeah. What are you talking I'm about? I'm here to close you. <laughs> it's what it sounds yes. like. You know, and it's not a great experience. And it's not what any of us who buy software want anymore. No, no it's the, it's what Rav Dollywall, he's a venture partner at Crane Ventures in London. Mm -hmm. He says that what's missing in the, in a modern sales cycle is an idea of a continuous sale. Right. Yeah. We, we do the inbound selling, we do the outbound selling, and then we jump in. Again. What, what, what we don't do with this ongoing relationship that we have with the subscription is a quote, he says, continuous sale. So mm -hmm. the continuous sale would be the customer success manager continuously helping that customer do the next thing and do the next thing and do the next thing, which I think we'll talk about in the business model. But the, that do the next thing, it isn't quote selling. 
it is continuously just helping the customer achieve that next value proposition, right? That's what yeah. we don't exactly do at, across the board yet. No, I mean, I think sort of the, the best CS teams um, and sales teams do that um, today. Yes, agreed. I think that it's a really small group still yeah. um, from what I've seen. And I think that um, the other groups are still very siloed for the most part and don't look at it holistically. And I think that's a huge mistake. Yeah. Um, I agree that the, the mindset still is we go back to this thing where the services people can't sell and the sellers can't service and the services people, and I use that term broadly, right? Customer yeah. fix it, all that. But the services people, um, you know, the quote, they don't have the DNA to sell. And so therefore we have to bring in the account manager to do that. Um, and I think that- That makes my blood boil when I hear that because I think that that is crazy. Um, I, I think agree. that everyone has the DNA to sell. And if somebody genuinely doesn't have the DNA to sell, they have no business being in any kind of customer facing position because we are all selling all the time. I and think I agree with that. Right. I mean, just selling your business case to buy the software in the first place is done sure. by just as one example. And I think that the business model innovation is to remove that entire conversation, that entire mindset or attitude from the conversation and say, well, there is no, mm -hmm. I'm coming in to sell you, or let's get someone with a sales DNA to come in to mm -hmm. close you. There's this uh, business model of setting up, and Rob Dollywell talks about this too, you set up the environment in which we're continuously helping the customer so that they have to buy something to do the next thing. Yeah. And it becomes part of the, part of the organ. It's a, I don't know, systems thinking. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's enabling the buying experience rather than selling. Oh, that's good. That's right. You know, because yeah. you the buying experience is now largely in the hands of the buyer. Like yep. it, it's really changed in B2B. And I think the, the way we have all of our departments and divisions set up doesn't really support the way that things have changed. Yep. Um, there's still all these silos. There's all these leaders in these silos who you know, don't want to lose their, you know, control over their department or their huge commission check. And so, you right. know, they're, they're resisting um, this kind of a shift. But, you know, meanwhile, the buyers have completely changed The you know, that perspective has changed. Um, how they want to engage with the company has changed, how they go about purchasing things has changed. Um, and I, I think that we haven't acknowledged any of that. I did like, I, I read that article that you sent me um, that Rob uh, wrote. And I think, I thought that was really good. Although I will say, I think even in that article, toward the end of the article, he's still talking about the division between, you know, customer success and sales from a skills standpoint, which I don't agree with. But yes, yes. I thought the rest of it was really good. And I like the direction he's going in, in terms of thinking about it really holistically. And, and you know, and this is like why I use that phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, okay, I like what he's done too. And I think the, the missing piece beyond what he's talking about is the business model innovation, mm -hmm. right? Because if you, um, what we did at Service Rocket a few years ago was we started to use the business model canvas as a mm -hmm. means for setting up or thinking about new businesses that we could go into. 
mm-hmm. right? So one of the things we did was, you know, you have to learn about this, but before any new business venture is proposed, and you know, we're structured in business units, so we don't just sell mm-hmm. one product. We're across, so yeah, and we set up new we set up new ones regularly, let's say, and so one of our rules is where's your business, you know, business model canvas comes first because you, the idea is that you prototype a business model and see if there's something there, right? Just like any prototype, it's an agile kind of a thing, but Mm -hmm. you prototype it and you study it and you say, okay, is there, is there potential here before you do anything else? So on that business model, there are two important parts of that. One is the value propositions Right. right, that you deliver. And the other part is the revenue streams. And so I took this in our LearnDot business and, you know, we have a team of customer success managers who are from implementation and from support and have customer experience backgrounds, none of whom have sales backgrounds or even customer support, customer success backgrounds. Right. And using the business model systematically, we were able to, you know, increase accounts at renewals our expansions went way, way, way up. In some cases, we doubled customer accounts, you know, uh, year over year. And so uh, I think it's attributable to how we op- we use this business model canvas, right? Instead yeah. of saying, how do you sell? Instead of, do- we didn't do sales training, you know, yeah. we didn't say go upsell something. We did none of that. It's like, go understand your customer, really. You know, and I well, think when you understand your customer, the sale is just kind of a natural output of that. You know, you can, you can start to match where the customer is getting value from in terms of your offerings. You can start mm-hmm. to understand where there might be expansion opportunities because you're learning about how they go to market and how they, in their, their revenue streams, you can, you know, you can really go a long way just by understanding what your customer is doing and how they're going to, to market themselves. That's right. And the second part of that was then to link those things the customer is trying to do with your revenue streams or right. more precisely the offerings that you have. Yep. Right. And so um, to oversimplify things, what we did was settle on the value propositions that our customers want to achieve and that we designed our service to deliver. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, here are the five. These are the five value propositions. Sure, there might yep. be more. Okay, fine. But co- at the core, and every company does this, at the core that you have five of them, or you have three, or you have eight, and you have to like sort of pick those. And this is what the sales team is pretty good at, in marketing teams. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in their marketing and sales, this is what we help customers do. Those are the value propositions. So we just sort of said, okay, these are the four, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then we said, of all those four, these are all of our offerings that can help with those four. And mm-hmm. so our attitude was let's help customers achieve one of those value propositions until they start to do it. And then we move on to the next one. And then we yeah. move on to the next one, et cetera, et cetera. And every time we move on to the next one, we would say, okay, well, what offering do we have that helps them with that next one? And we'd have that conversation. We'd have that conversation mid-contract, you know, like yeah. with no pressure of a renewal. It's just like, okay, we've done this. What's the next thing you want to do? And that was all done in the QBR process. There's this open-ended, okay, what's next on your project list? And customers spill the beans and they say this, this, and the other thing, right? And then we go, oh, we listen. (laughs) Seek first to understand is the idea, right? 
ask questions. Yes. I mean, that's the that's one of the mistakes I think that, you know, CSMs make a lot in those QBRs is they feel like they have to be presenting the whole time. And it's like, you could do so much better if you just ask a question and then shut up for a while. Oh my gosh. And take really good notes, you know? Yeah. You know, Kristen, I just think there's a complete and utter epidemic of um, leaping to solutions. Yes. And none of us, like, I know that every, this, I, I'm sort of being funny when I say that, but I know everybody read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but I am convinced that everyone skipped chapter four. And yes. So seek first to understand <laughs> chapter. I, I just, I would bet $5. <laughs> yeah. Diagnose all... before you prescribe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to understand what's going on for sure. And, and the best way to do that is just ask questions and go deeper and deeper and deeper until you feel like you really have a solid understanding. And it's a much, frankly, it's a much more fun conversation to have than reviewing people's stats on their usage of your product. I mean, no one really cares about that. So, you know, if you can have a good conversation because you're asking good questions, that's going to go a long way toward uncovering what to do. I, I really love the systematic approach that you described, because another thing I think happens is we don't fully farm all of the value props that we put out there before we start coming up with other yes. kind of random ones. And I think the way that you're approaching that is really systematic and making sure that you've got all of the ground covered that you're trying to cover initially before you move on to something new. I, I, I think there is something to that. I, and I, I do have a deliberate bias where, you know, I keep reminding our team, it's like, okay, why don't we do this first? Why don't we get good at this first before we X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's funny. Uh, very early on in my career as an early manager, I had someone reporting to me. Cindy Green was her name. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. And she used to say to me, slow down, Bill. You're already going on to the next five things, and we haven't even settled on this thing yet. Because I was acting like the ideas manager, right? Uh -huh. And I was like, next, 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 next. And I... And she's, she's like, Bill, slow down. Let's just do this thing first. And so yeah. I listened to that. I'm like, whoa, you're right. I keep, you know, I was chasing the squirrels, right? Right. Instead of, so I've really been obsessed with that my rest of my whole career. It's like, why don't we do this first, right? And then then the next proposi value proposition. But let's really make sure the customer gets there, one, two, or three, whatever it is. And, um, I, I think we make a mistake by doing too much, too often, too soon. Yep. And we never really get the traction on the one success, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it kind of, that flows through the whole organization often, you know, product teams are doing that too, where, you know, they're not really nailing the one thing that they initially created. They're moving on to the next shiny thing. And then the product and the value that could be delivered by that solution um, just never really gets fully baked. And it's just this series of kind of half-baked new offerings that then the CSMs are supposed to go out and pitch to clients when the clients really haven't gotten full value from the original solution yet. And it's sort of this vicious cycle. Um, so I, I think I, I like the idea of slow down a little bit and get it right. Um, there is this concept of, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. 
right? Yeah. Which I kind of like. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about how I probably took it too far by over-focusing <laughs> is that when I was shifting our mindset to focus on NRR as our North Star metric, um, and it wasn't just me, but our, our team decided that was our number one metric because mm-hmm. it's a subscription business and we wanted to grow our customers and we wanted to measure it that way, right? And so mm-hmm. that's the, net recurring revenue. Net, right? yeah, net revenue retention. Yeah. Net revenue net retention. Net revenue retention. Right? Okay. And the idea of that metric is that it takes into account um, expansion revenue and contraction revenue together to net out whether you're going to be above or below 100%. So whether you're growing or not, whether you're growing revenue with your, your, your total customer base, but it accounts for the customers you're losing or contracting, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we decided to see that was number one. So I still had a hard time convincing the rest of the organization that that was number one. But the only thing I would say was NRR. The answer to every question, I just said NRR, <laughs> right? And yeah. it, it became a joke. And it became to a point where other execs and managers would say, I know what Bill's going to say, NRR, Right. And so I became, that became my nickname. And one executive actually said to me, wanted to say to me, we have to measure churn. I'd say, no, we don't. That's second. We'll worry about that later. And he said, so Bill, what you're telling me is you don't care if we lose all of our customers, keep one customer, but if we keep expanding them and our NRR is above a hundred, you're okay with that? And I said, yes. And of course I'm not, because that's risky. One customer, okay, of course I'm not. But the message I wanted to send was, at this point in our lives, yes, I care about that more. And so that's why I just said yes, um, because I overfocus on it. Now, you might tell me, Kristen, as an expert in this, I took it too far, which I think I probably did. But, a little bit, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> you were making a point. Uh, that Yes, I was trying to make a point. And that, that's, yeah. that was, that's my over, let's say, bias to you have to focus on one thing before you do the next thing, because if... You do a 17 worksheet spreadsheet and you have mm-hmm. 75 metrics. You have leading at metrics and lagging metrics and, and you know, all these different metrics. You're like, okay, oh, good grief. I don't have the brain capacity to handle all that. I'm better one thing at a time kind of guy, I guess you might say. Um, but anyway, that's just an example of, of I think, focusing on, in our, in our case, like that metric and also the business model canvas and then mm-hmm. doing the value propositions and the revenue streams, like get the momentum going, then go on to the next thing. Yeah. And just um, just for the audience, um, the business model canvas is something that has been out for a long time. It was created by the team at Strategizer, and it's used in business schools a lot. And it's a way to break down a company's um, revenue streams and business model and you know, where the customers are coming from and who they partner with and all kinds of things. And the, the two components of that that Bill's talking about are the um, value prop and the revenue stream boxes yep. on that form. So if you go Google it, you can find Business Model Canvas and see what we're talking about. And you, don't you even use it in one of your We use it in courses. one of our classes, yeah, because we feel like, I mean, it's such a good tool. It's so simple and easy to understand. And it's, um, you know, a good way for you to make sure you understand your own company. It's a great way to understand a um, customer's company and what they're doing and yes. how they're going to market. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an excellent tool and it's been around for a long time. 
Um, and it, it's, I like it cause it's simple. I, I think it's underappreciated and I think what people it miss, is. yeah, it's that we all think of innovation as product innovation, right? Or mm-hmm. service innovation. We need a better product or we need a better customer success offering, let's say. And this business model canvas helps you understand that you're, you can innovate at the business model level, yeah. right? Not invent any new products, change your business model and completely reinvent your company. Um, and it's amazing with that perspective, what you can do. Yeah. I want to just ask you, how do you think the roles in sales and success and professional services and support need to change in the new model that you're talking about? Well, um, I think that some, they all need to come together under some one quote team. That's a customer team of some kind. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I'm not interested in, in trying to figure out if that's the chief customer officer that owns everything or the chief sales officer or the rev chief, you know, CRO, right? Like all of that stuff to me is just the details of how each organization does it. But to me, at the business model level, there is a need for communicating to the world the value propositions you can help people do, um, helping them acquire that, then helping them do that, and then mm-hmm. helping them do more of that, right? So that's way overly simplified. But if you can communicate to the world what you do, help people acquire that, help people do that, help people do that continuously, somewhere in there is how all of these teams, because what we still do, and of course, organizationally, there's probably a need to do this, but the marketing team is over there doing their thing. The sales team is over here. Then it goes to the sales. We have this customer journey um, or this linear uh, manufacturing steps of box number one is marketing. Then box number two is sales. Then box number three is services. Then box number four is support. Box number five is... back to sales for a renewal and we just do box, 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 right? It's linear and it needs to be more flow. You know, that's not Mm -hmm. the right word flow or more continuous. Yeah. Um, Like circular. Yes. I've seen a figure eight. (laughs) Oh yes. Well, there's lots of ways to visualize it. I think (laughs) it definitely needs more of a flow. Agreed. And I don't think I'm saying anything, any, anything innovative all by itself. Right. Because, I think we all get this, but what in the end, what we do is we still set it up. Like I, I'm a vendor of a software company that you've heard of, and I, I've been renewing with this company for six years now, mm-hmm. and every time the renewal comes up, I have to decide which of the three or four people I talk to. I have a renewal manager, a customer success manager. I have a um, sales account executive, and there's another person involved who's more of an administrative person and Mm -hmm. whichever person I call first, they say I should have called the other person and I never know who it is. Even the customer success manager doesn't really own my relationship. They still say, Oh, for that, you have to call them. Right. And it's frustrating. And now I'm about to hand over this ownership of this software to another person on our team who's going to own it. Mm-hmm. And they're having, they're like, uh, Bill, who do I talk to for upgrading or downgrading or whatever? And I go, I don't know. I'll go back to my emails for two years and you know, figure it out. And I always ask the wrong person and I get it. This company's getting big. They have to specialize, right. but 
good grief. If you introduce all these people to me, what, I mean, I, I want to pick something else. (laughs) Yeah. And this is why I think, you know, it is important for everyone to be able to sell, um, because I don't want to talk to somebody different who's just trying to sell me on something when I go to renew. I want to talk to the person who I've been talking to all along about my challenges and needs and how I'm using things and new initiatives that have come up, all of that stuff. And and it seems very artificial to get sort of pushed off to somebody who I don't have a relationship with because they have sales skills. Like, you don't need sales skills to renew me if you've been working with me this whole time and you know my business. You, it's it's a given that I'm going to renew. Okay, so I want to get your reaction to this because yeah. I'm working with a client and they have a CSM and account manager model, right? The account manager yeah. swoops in and does their thing. So um, I um, am just baffled that the CSM is helping this customer you know, regularly for nine months Right. Uh-huh. And the, the customer is telling the CSM when their maternity leave is. Right. So it's like, yeah, they know each other. They, okay. Yeah. And so then I think, well, how is this account manager supposed to swoop in and know all this stuff and then propose some renewal with some expansion? Like, how is that even possible? Because how do they, I, my, I say, and I've said this to them, how could you possibly, how could that salesperson possibly know the customer? well enough to do that. And the sales team always has the answer. Well, we're good at what we do. We know how to know our customer and that's, and they get offended by my offense, (laughs) I guess you could say. I I mean, salespeople are good, but you know, they, there's no way they could ever have the same kind of rich relationship that it, unless it's an account manager who is in charge of the relationship, Um, you know, and you can call them an account manager, you can call them a CSM, but it's whoever's delivering that value yeah. who's positioned correctly to to sell renewals and and frankly upsell and cross sell. I think the only time when I would argue that there probably does need to be some sort of division of labor is if there's a very heavy contract involved where you know it's going to take a lot of time away from the CSM to That's do right. the tactical part of selling the paperwork mm-hmm. part. Um, but then I would argue that really what they need is someone who's like an assistant to the CSM to to handle the paperwork part, not somebody who's got a totally separate and equal role to come in and sell, you know, because I think the selling should be a natural outcome of what the CSM is doing if the CSM is doing their job right. Right. And, and, and the way I would look at that would be that the CSM they are helping the customer achieve that value proposition A, yeah. and maybe they're about to help them do value proposition B and have the buy-in for, oh yeah, let's do the next thing. Well, the next thing requires that this add-on is purchased at the renewal or earlier yeah. or whatever, or it requires a premium service or an integration work or professional services, whatever it does. And so now if the customer says, oh yeah, I do need to do that next product and achieve that next value, whatever mm-hmm. that is, okay, Talk to me about what I need to do to do that. Okay, of the three things, one of them is purchase this thing. Okay, yeah. send me how much that's going to cost. And I have I have sold nothing in the sense right. of what can I do to put you into a car today? Kind of right. Thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah, a natural act of helping the customer. Right, right. It's, it's, 
it's the best way to sell because everybody's happy. You know, it's not, nobody feels like they're being taken advantage of or pushed into something or, and then the, the person who's doing the selling feels like they're helping the customer get what they want. It's a win, win kind of selling and it's consultative sales. It's what, you know, we've been trying to (laughs) get, get out there for years. It's just some, some companies embrace it more than others. Um, And, you know, the sales teams, I I come out of sales, so I feel like I can say this. Uh, Sales leaders still are not, have not woken up to the fact that times have changed. And they're still looking at this um, as the, you know, in the same way that they looked at the classic server-based software model, because that was a very lucrative model for them. And they made a lot of money doing that. I made a lot of money doing that when I was a VP of sales. Um, and then when things shifted to SaaS, um, you know, it's to their advantage to keep it as similar as possible so that they can continue to, you know, make the kind of money that they've made in the past. But I think that in the long run, it's short-sighted to think that way as a, a leader. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm in customer success and not sales right now. <laughs> It's short-sighted to look at it like it's going to stay the same forever because nothing stays the same forever. So, um, you know, the software company business model also changed, right? TSIA writes about this like crazy. It's like, you know, when you're selling software that gets installed once, you pay all the money up front, let's say. Right. So, and so you you, want to do the transaction of the sale, but when we're spreading out that revenue over numerous Mm -hmm. years and we don't make money on it until year three, four or five. Right. Um, you can't have a transaction close a deal mindset. You have to have more right. of a relationship, a continuous relationship, or a growth oriented relationship mindset, which mm-hmm. is made for customer success. I mean, it's right. just tailor made. That's what the job description is: growth, growing relationships. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, so just to kind of wrap up, can you kind of summarize what you see as the the new model going forward? Yes. The new model going forward is get your business model canvas going mm-hmm. and focus on the two boxes of value proposition and revenue streams in your on your canvas. And customer success teams need to know the value propositions they are delivering and the revenue streams that are linked to those value propositions and then continuously help customers achieve the value proposition, then the next one and link it to the offering that that causes the revenue, then the next revenue stream, then the next value proposition, then the next revenue stream in this continuous motion. And that sales will flow from that naturally. So it's a business model innovation. It is not a product innovation. I love it. I think this is a really cool idea. I hope everyone in the audience will go look up the business model canvas. It's such an easy, great tool. Um, Bill, thanks so much for our conversation today. I hope the audience will go and listen to your podcast, which is called Helping Sells. Bill, where can they go find that? Uh, we have a website, helpingsells.substack.com. Everyone's on Substack now. Okay. So uh, we publish all of our episodes there, Helping Sells Radio. Great. Thank you. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Medallia and the Success League. To learn more about Medallia's customer success solution, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. 
To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.